what we do here is go back, 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 back. It does no service to creating value for people where I came from if I won't say where I came from. And so nobody thought any thought this movie was going to work, and it did. One of my greatest struggles as a journalist is that I'm an emotional person and I'm a sensitive person. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. 10,000 No's is built on the premise that hearing stories of struggle from people who most of us would consider to be successful is a way for the rest of us to realize that we're not alone. If you've already subscribed on iTunes and you like what you hear, please share it with others. You can take a screenshot of your phone while you're listening, post it on your social media, tag at Matty Dell on Instagram or at Matthew Del Negro on Twitter and Facebook, email it to friends, or just let people know it exists and how you found it. If you can leave an iTunes review, even better. That really helps. Either way, I appreciate you listening, and I hope you're as inspired by my guests as I am. It's an internal drive that I remember being there for as long as I can remember. It's always been there. Welcome to episode 20. I had a chance to sit down with Dr. Elliot Berlin, DC. He's a chiropractor and massage therapist who's become the breach doctor to the stars. If you're pregnant or you know anyone who's pregnant or about to be, this is a great one to hear. Ironically, it wasn't until after we finished recording that he shared with me that he has something called facial blindness, which he wasn't diagnosed with till the age of 39, and he wasn't diagnosed with ADD until the age of 40, which proves that some people aren't even aware that their incredible nose or even nose. Uh, I'll have to have them back on later to get into the repercussions of that. But for now, enjoy the show. Okay, I am I am here with Dr. Elliot Berlin, DC. DC, Doctor of Chiropractic. Which uh, which I you know didn't really. I kind of assumed from our connection through our mutual friend Marion Campbell. Uh, camera, that you were an OB, the way she described you as a breach doctor, mm-hmm. um, and and then uh, was interested to find out that you are a chiropractor. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, first of all what you do? If you uh, you'll describe it better than anybody else, and then we sure. can start with that. Well, I'll, I'll go back a little bit. I'm a chiropractor and a massage therapist, and I combine the two together. So I, as a kid, always thought I'd be some kind of medical doctor. I thought surgery sounded cool. Um, from the time I was like seven or eight years old, I think I took a CPR class, and I just I loved it. And then I did first aid and responding to emergencies. I was teaching for the American Red Cross. As a teenager, I became an EMT and worked in ambulances and emergency rooms as soon as I could, I think when I was 18. Wow. Uh, And then soon after that, my father died. I was 19, um, partially from a medical mix-up. You know, he wasn't in great shape, but uh, he took a medication that didn't agree with him. And um, was it a malpractice kind of situation um, or not? You know, there was talk but... about it. It's it's a lot of it's blacked out in my mind, the whole situation, because it was so shocking at the time. It was very unexpected. Although he wasn't in great shape, he wasn't imminently ill. How, how old? He was 48. 48. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, thank you. So it, I remember, you know, the whole thing was just a giant transition, and um, I remember there was talk about potentially a malpractice suit. It didn't go that way. I don't know if it's because there wasn't really grounds for it, or if my mother just didn't feel like that. You know, going through that, I think I remember them saying it's a long, difficult process, and I don't think that she felt that money would wasn't going to bring it back. Right. And so. Um, now, as a doctor, you sort of understand that sometimes, um, you know, medicine or or other interventions, they come with a risk. And just because that risk happens to you doesn't mean anybody did anything wrong, per se. Um, but I don't know exactly why at the time. But it did shift my mind from saying, oh, maybe I don't want to be in the medical side of things, the drugs and surgery side of things. Um, not that I didn't like them. I respect them even more because I know that anything that can help you can also hurt you. Um, and to some degree, the more it can help you, the more it can hurt you. Uh, but I researched, you know, I, I got married when I was 22, and I was on this path towards medical school, and then all of a sudden I was like, I don't think I can do it. And so I stopped that, and the uh, future doctor was all of a sudden, like, making pizza and, uh, you know, <laughs> doing other side jobs. Yeah. Uh, and I sort of had to get it together quickly, so I spent some time researching other other modalities of healing. And I, I read about a lot of different ones. And the two that stuck out to me together were chiropractic and massage therapy together, the musculoskeletal system and how much it does for the body and how structure affects function. And so I went to school for both. I went to massage therapy school at nighttime and chiropractic school during the day. Uh, I started practicing massage therapy as soon as I finished my program, and I still had three years of chiropractic school to go. And they really work very well together. Um, in terms of how it turned into pregnancy was somewhat because I was working at a busy practice in Nebraska. My wife is a psychologist, and we got sent to Lincoln, Nebraska for a year. And where are you? Are you guys We're from, from New York. L.A.? Or are you from New York? New York is. Ma Manhattan? or Staten know. Island. Staten Island. Okay. Yeah. So, so we went to Georgia for grad school, which was a total change in pace. Oh, my God, pace. yeah, that's a, <laughs> uh, Staten Island and Georgia. They're pretty they're much the same. the same. And then we went to Nebraska for her internship, which, thank goodness, there was Georgia to, like, buffer the two. I think straight from New York to Nebraska, and you just die. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's such a change, such a shock to the system. Uh, but I was in a busy practice there, and you start to see a lot more volume of patients, and you start to notice um, patterns. Uh, and then also we ourselves had a little bit of a fertility struggle, and it just had my mind in this space of of holistic fertility. We were doing medical things for fertility. They weren't working. And uh, we kind of shifted to more of a holistic approach. And when we came to Los Angeles, uh, we got pregnant and had our first baby all naturally with no medical intervention. And that's what I was doing at the time. Um, and so I sort of discovered a connection between certain types of back pain and, and certain types of infertility. Not every type of back pain and not every type of infertility. And understanding how the neurological system works, um, you can sort of use that to put the body in a more fertile or less fertile place. And that's what I was dabbling in, which left me a practice full of achy pregnant women. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I didn't know all that much about pregnancy at the time. We were just barely having our own first kid. And um, the training in chiropractic school about pregnancy is mostly like what not to do. Don't touch this. Don't go there. You know, right. just like be careful, liability, pregnancy. 
Uh, and so I really had to reach out to others who were doing prenatal care. I had to read as much as I could and, and sort of tell my patients, I don't know a lot about pregnancy and chiropractic, but what I can do is I can modify my techniques so that we can do pregnancy safely, on, chiropractic on you safely while you're pregnant. How did women respond to that? Were they uh, in in a state of, of desperation where they're saying whatever it takes – uh, you can do it, or were people um, kind of hesitant to say you're going to manipulate me in some way, and it could be, it could be dangerous. That's a good question. For patients who I was working with during their fertility journey, there was already a trust, and they they got results, uh, whether it be with fertility or more commonly with the achiness that they were having, the pain, the pains and discomforts that they were having. And now during pregnancy, those aches and pains tend to be even more prevalent, so they'd want to come back and continue the care. But then, you know, the reputation grew from there to other people who were pregnant who I'd never met before, and they were hearing from patients who were seeing me pregnant and getting really good results. I told um, you that when I was told about you, Marion said, you've got it. This guy is amazing because you, you helped her out. Yes. That, and right? she's amazing to work with also. Yeah. Uh, so all we really do for anything that comes into the office related to pregnancy, birth, and postpartum is really musculoskeletal stuff. Uh, if you look at the pelvis, the pelvis sort of acts like a rubber band. It's a bunch of bones connected by ligaments and cartilage, but it kind of acts like a rubber band. It can expand and contract in, in lots of different directions. And at the end of pregnancy, the body works really hard to make that rubber band more flexible, more elastic. You make a hormone relaxin, which relaxes some of those soft tissues. Your progesterone levels go up, which relax some of those soft tissues. And so by the end, when this baby's in there, your uterus has grown 60 times its original size, and there's a baby trying to maneuver its way and find a good position. And then during labor, come through the pelvis, the musculoskeletal pelvis has to be kind of functional to help that process along. And so it makes sense that the more functional a person's low back, hips, and pelvis are, then potentially the easier the positioning can go and the birth can go, and your, your body will be working with you instead of against you. And can you describe what um, what is it that happens that causes a baby to be breached? What so babies can be breached for a lot of different reasons. And just by way of definition, breach means the the baby is not head down. At the end of a, a pregnancy, almost all the babies, the great majority of babies, end up head down. And it's the easiest way for them to come out vaginally is if the head is down, the easiest, safest way for them to come out. Uh, but in a small number of cases, the baby doesn't end up head down. Either they're butt down or there's a foot down or they're floating transverse. They're just not head down. Uh, what can cause that? Sometimes it's something structural, like you can have a short umbilical cord with a high up placenta or the baby's face could be smushed into the placenta up at the top and there's no room for it to move around. Or or the uterus can have a variation in the normal shape. For example, a common one is if at the top, instead of being rounded, there's a little septum that comes down and creates that comic heart shape where 
kind of cartoony heart shape where the head is up in one lobe of that heart and the legs are in the other lobe and there's no way for the baby to move back and forth um, within that or it's more difficult for the baby to move back and forth. The amniotic fluid could be on the higher side which makes babies move around more even towards the end of pregnancy when they're normally settled in or it could be on the lower side which is not a lot of fluid to move around in and so they end up stuck in that position. There's a lot of structural reasons why sometimes a baby can't or should shouldn't get head down. But we don't work on that. We work on the functionality. What if the muscles of the low back, hips, and pelvis are so tight and so restricted that the baby living inside there doesn't functionally have as much room to move around? And so when a baby's breech after, you know, by 34, 35 weeks, they're usually head down. If baby's still breached, they're going to run out of choices on what to do. Um, most doctors and midwives today don't deliver breech babies vaginally. So for someone who wants to have a vaginal birth, they're either left with finding a doctor who or midwife who can deliver their baby safely vaginally, and there's certain criteria that make that more or less safe. Uh, or they are going to have to try to get that baby to turn somehow. Medically, they have a procedure called the external cephalic version. It's usually done around 37 weeks into the pregnancy, and uh, the practitioner will literally Usually there's a drug to relax the uterus a little bit, so there's more flexibility and room to move around. But the practitioner will usually manually try to force the baby. It's usually two, actually, two doctors, one pushing whatever's down in the pelvis up and out, and then the other one pushing the other part, usually the the, the head that's up at top, uh, trying to vert it around and through her belly, trying to push it over to the other side. And that works about 40 to 50% of the time, but it's a little intense and invasive, and sometimes people don't want to do it. And, and what will they go to a C-section? Uh, if it, Is your goal that they... they don't have to go to a C-section? My is goal the, is their goal. Yeah. I, I don't have my own... I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with a C-section. I think it's a, today's day and age a fine way to be born. But for various reasons, um, women often don't want to have one. That's what I was wondering. Like, Do most of the women that are coming to you, are they hoping to have... A vaginal birth. To, uh, yeah, or, they usually or, want to have a vaginal birth because if you if you don't mind having a cesarean or you want to have a cesarean, it doesn't really matter which position the baby's in, right? They yeah. can get them out. Um, but if you want to have the vaginal birth, and especially if there's no providers in your area who will do a breech vaginal birth, um, then you kind of have to get the baby flipped around. So what we do, we can do earlier on. We're not really doing anything to the baby. It's not really a breech technique. It's the same exact thing we do when people come in with low back pain, hip pain, sciatic pain, pubic bone pain. We're literally looking at the soft tissues. That's my massage background. How are the muscles? How are the ligaments? How are the tendons? If they look fine, we leave them alone. If they're tight, stiff, restrictive, we massage them out and make them more functional. From the chiropractic side, we look at the joints where two bones come together. There should be movement around those joints. Sometimes they move well, we leave them alone. Sometimes they're stuck and they don't move well. We do a little adjustment to release that joint and put functionality back in there. Yeah. Now, if functionality was part of the reason why this baby couldn't move around inside, then in between our visits, there may be more movement and the baby may naturally be able to settle down into, uh, into the head down position. Yeah. Let me uh, go back to something you had said earlier that kind of struck me, which was you said you were how old? You were seven years old? When I you... think so. I took CPR. Wow. 
So that's second grade, maybe. And was that... I don't even know if I took a class or I saw a class being given. Do you have older siblings? I have one older sibling, a brother who's four years older. And were your parents in the medical field at all? No, my parents are both teachers, elementary school teachers. So that just came from... Do you remember or did you just happen to come across... It's an internal drive that I I remember being there for as long as I, I can... As long as I can remember, it's always been there. That's so interesting. Um, I mean, because it's, I know, you know, kids play doctor, but to actually, you know, either witness or see a CPR class and then to be, it's just, it's very interesting to me to hear that you had this passion so, so young and then that you followed through with it. Um, and, And also to hear that you were teaching when you were only a teenager. I was a teenager, 16 or 17. Yeah. And it was a CPR course that you were doing? I taught CPR. I taught first aid. I taught responding to emergencies. And were you going and working with, like, who would you go volunteer with and how young were you when you started to do that? Uh, I would volunteer. I wasn't volunteering yet. I was getting paid to teach. But uh, when I was 18 is when I started to volunteer for, like, community-based ambulance services. And uh, I you in know, Staten Island. Uh, in this was partially in Staten Island and partially in Manhattan, Washington Heights, huh. and uh, and then in Israel for a while for Magin David Adom, the uh, the Israeli volunteer ambulance company. Okay. And uh, it's uh, I, I just being around emergencies never made me uncomfortable. Medical emergencies. It just I I I never really got in touch with the emotional side of what I was doing. It was just sort of like go assess, see how we can stabilize, bring them over to a hospital and give them long-term care. And do you find that that has affected your everyday life or with uh, your kids in terms of seeing that my my mother-in-law is a uh, doctor of, of nursing as her PhD and she worked in an ER for uh, 20 years, I think. And she just she sees everything that's coming, and and you know is kind of a great advocate when something does happen in the family. But is also you know she almost describes it as like PTSD from having dealt with an emergency room situation where she's seen the whole gamut. Do you feel like that's been? It's interesting with my kids. It's um, and my wife. It's I'm a, uh, it's different with them. It's very different with them. Uh, sometimes I get more worried than I should with them, and sometimes I'm more cool than I should be. Yeah, them. something will happen, and I'll, how old you know, are your kids now? Now they're seven, nine, eleven, and thirteen. Seven, nine, eleven, and thirteen. Wow. Yeah, it's a full house. That's a full uh, house. <laughs> it's great. I mean, I have really amazing kids, and uh, my wife. I couldn't do anything without her. She's amazing too. Um, and they would, they're so lucky to have her because she's also, she's a psychologist and she really, um, she helps them in ways that amaze me and she helps me in ways that amaze me. But in terms of when medical things go on, you know, if a kid bites their tongue, there's a lot of blood coming out. Other parents would freak out. I'm like, I know you're going to bleed a lot because you bit your tongue, but it's going to be okay. You right. Know, let's just deal with it. Uh, and then other times some things will come up, you know, someone will have stomach pain for three days in a row and I'll get flashbacks, you know, of a 17-year-old kid who died of Wilson's disease, which is so rare, uh, inability to metabolize copper. So the copper builds up on his 
was a hepatic artery and it ruptured one day. Um, so I have those things that I some said that make me when my own kids are coming in that I just get irrational thoughts. I'm like, maybe it's that. Right, right. You know, no, I always wonder ways. that. And I have a friend who has uh, got the, a military background and was uh, a SEAL for a while. And he's kind of seen everything. And I always ask him, do you you know, when you're in a crowd, you must see things differently than the rest of us because of your training, because of your experiences. You must see things coming, you know, three steps, five steps before they come. And I I would imagine uh, with your situation that you would, with that experience, that would be the case. And then maybe you would be, I don't know if it would be more nerves. My guess would always be it would be more nervous with your kids because you, you see the potential hazards, but maybe, you know, maybe it's like you were saying, the opposite. It goes both they, ways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they know it, too. Like that. Relax. <laughs> I don't have that weird, obscure disease. Yeah. <laughs> and the, and um, so so you were, you, you kind of came on a, on a pretty straight path, aside from the thinking you wanted to be an MD. Mm-hmm. And then, and then that shifted. And what was that situation like for you? Uh, I mean, the shift was was I just didn't want to be in medicine. It just felt so heavy, and so well, I sort of analyzed my father and and in his lifestyle, how he was taking a lot of medications, um, which could have been part of the downfall. You know, medications don't interact well sometimes with each other. One by itself can be amazing. Two separate ones together may interact and and cause your heart to stop. So um, I just thought there are must be ways that we can help people before they get to that point. Yeah, and that's what I wanted to tap into. Yeah. And and which came first, the massage therapy before the chiropractic? Or? I mean, I fell in love with both together as a unit. It's a musculoskeletal system. There's a muscular side and a skeletal side, but they're so intertwined and they work together. If I release muscles that are tight but don't release the joint, I feel like I only did half the job. Yeah. If I just adjust the joint, it may ultimately have an effect on releasing the muscle, but it may not. And so by doing both together, I get it from both sides of the equation, and I just I get this uh, much more complete release of the tension that we're trying to release, restoration of the function that, that had been lost. That helps anybody in general because a lot of my patients now are not pregnant. You know, it's their their husbands or their partners or their parents or their kids who come in. Um, and we use the same approach on everybody. This is I, I this is my technique. I use yeah. massage and I use adjustments together. What's it called? You have something that's that's specific to you, I feel like. Uh, I call it chirosage, but it's really just a blend of uh, the two things okay. that I'm bringing I thought, together. Yeah. I thought there was like a like something like Doctor Berlin's something. I I thought I had uh, we read thought that maybe somewhere. the uterine release technique. Oh, you, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah the, the Berlin uterine, uterine release. release technique. But yeah. it's really it's just uh, trying to explain. People hear that we get breech babies to turn, so they come in and they say, "Turn my breech baby." I'm like, "Whoa, slow down. We don't <laughs> turn breech babies. Yeah. We restore normal musculoskeletal system to the extent we can in your body. And the the positive side effect of that is your baby may have more." room inside to move around. And do you ever get people that come in and, uh, you know, especially in L.A., that people come in and kind of demanding with that they heard something about a result and they they are uh, 
in a way, obstructing your treatment of them because they're looking for a, a specific result. Well, it's sometimes coming with expectations that yeah. I can't necessarily meet. So we're very clear on the first visit. This is how this works. I'm not going to try to turn your baby. You could yeah. not even be pregnant, and I would be doing the same thing to you that I'm doing that we will do today. And sometimes they'll hear that and and they'll say, "Oh, that's not what I thought it was. That's not what I'm interested in." And that's fine, yeah. you know. And it's sometimes a series of visits. Sometimes people have really significant musculoskeletal dysfunction for various reasons. It'll take at least 3 or 4 visits to fully release things. And you know, that's how long I'll need. Some people release melt like butter when you massage them. And yeah. some people you can massage one muscle for a full session and barely get any release out of it. So yeah. everybody's different. Sometimes babies turn after one visit. Sometimes babies don't turn at all. Sometimes we've had a, a number of babies just turn like during a visit yeah. because things open up. We were just filming for a documentary recently and, uh, and uh, one of our patients had a breech baby, and I felt it right before it happened. I felt the muscle let go, and the baby just felt like it unlocked in there. And I said, "I Emily, I get the feeling your baby's about to turn. And I'm hands off. And the baby just, you just see it moving around. Because in that case, it wasn't a full breech. It was close. But the butt, you can almost feel like the baby underneath there is locked underneath this tight band of muscle. Once you feel the muscle melt like butter there's a much better shot of the baby moving past it. It was also an L.A. baby that knew that there was a camera rolling. Exactly. So like, I'm going to turn right, right here's now my face over for here. the documentary. <laughs> yeah. This is um, my better side. So what about, um, you know, just we're, this is 10,000 no's and it's all the, the adversity that people have come come through. Uh, have there been any, and I don't know how much you would want to share or not want to share, but any... Uh, Tough stories that that where results were uh, less than ideal that maybe um, made you question the way you worked or or changed your philosophy in some way or, or any any the, experiences like that. I mean, the less than ideal results for us are when babies don't turn, but we know a good number of the babies we're working on are not going to turn. And I feel as long as the expectations are in it, are good, then we can use our technique and see what happens. It's, if, that, if they don't turn, though, there's always something. There's always a, a backup plan. Well, they have other is, options. They can said, still yeah. go in for the medical version where they manually try to turn the baby. Yeah. And again, I think that if we loosen up the musculature and get the joints more functional, then even when the doctor manually tries to turn the baby, they're working with a better playing field than if everything's very stiff and tight and restricted. I know that also because doctors tell me that all the time. A lot of our referrals come from medical doctors who say, well, I'll go try to loosen things up with Dr. B first and see what happens. Right. If the baby doesn't turn, then we can try to turn them manually, usually at 37 or sometimes 39 weeks. Um, if that doesn't work, they still have a couple of options. At least in Los Angeles, they have the option. There's a handful of doctors and who still deliver breech babies vaginally if you meet the safety criteria for it. Uh, if not, then you can schedule a cesarean or some doctors are comfortable waiting till you go into labor, which gives you a little more time. 
to see if maybe the baby will turn spontaneously at the end. I will say sometimes they just surprise you. Like usually at whatever you are at 37 weeks, you're going to be at the end. But we see from time to time a baby that was head down the whole time pops into a breach right in the middle of labor. And you see babies that are breech uh, either all the way through or that recently turned breech pop back into a head down position just before or during labor. And so, you know, giving yourself a little more time, you know, the standard is to schedule a C-section for a breech baby at 39 weeks, partially so that you don't go into labor. Um, There are some presentations of breech that are more dangerous than others to labor with. Uh, And so in those cases in particular, the idea is not to let labor start if we can avoid it and avoid that dangerous situation. Um, And sometimes it's just so that you have a scheduled cesarean versus an emergency cesarean. There's only two nomenclature for cesarean. There's scheduled and emergency. There should be a third one that's called like unscheduled, but that's not an emergency, but there isn't. Um, there isn't really that notion. So, but it's, you know, also it's convenience for both the provider and for the patient. Sometimes it's more convenient to pick a time. And it's nice to know that you're going to go in at a time where your doctor is there and ready right. for you and already had their coffee and, you know, the tech team. That- we, we had the situation with our son, who was our firstborn, where, uh, you know, our OB said she's never missed a, a delivery. And then, of course, my wife went into premature labor and oh. ROB was on like I think a rafting trip so oh. we had some we go. had another guy come in and uh, so you're the first so uh <laughs> yeah it was it was uh it was interesting you have was, to be you know ready to roll with whatever happens yeah you know you yeah. can you can plan all you want you it's a really sort of a roller coaster run and it's a different roller coaster for every rider yeah did you have any um, issues with any of your kids being born where they were uh, any troubles with pregnancies or everything pretty much smooth? You know, after having that trouble getting pregnant at the beginning and um, having a miscarriage at the beginning, um, we really, once pregnancy, it's like once the things kicked into gear, they just went really well. We had a baby every two years um, for 2004, 6, 8, and 10. And they're wow. all around the same time, June 1st, June 7th, June 10th, and wow. April 30th. And um, thank God they're all healthy pregnancies. Like my wife had morning sickness, and yeah. uh, but like all day and not just for the first trimester and other things like that. But it, it just um, – we're so grateful that she had healthy pregnancies and healthy deliveries. Um, her preference was to do them unmedicated, so – we had three hospital births with no intervention at all, and then one home birth at home in the bathtub. What was the the homeopathic? Um, you had said in the beginning that there was uh, the infertility in the beginning. You were having a hard time, mm-hmm. and then you said you kind of switched your approach. Did you say you did something? Yeah, because we were what doing medical medicated fertility cycles, um, and like IUI and IVF. Um, and they're very expensive, and they really take you down this re- really tough psychological place. Um, but they they tend to work, but for us, they weren't working. And so you really go, well, now that we've done all the technology, where do we go from here? And in our case, we went back to we went back to nature. You know, we used acupuncture, Chinese medicine, chiropractic, massage, um, sort of hyp- hypnotherapy, meditation. Um, and and maybe change of location. It was like soon right. after we came to Los Angeles, and boom, there was the first. So one. interesting. And and um, 
what other so you're not specifically you're not only pregnancies you have a practice that deals with I, we end up doing about 90 i personally end up doing about 90 percent pre and postnatal oh, i do. became okay. a doula and i also go to birth with our clients while they're in labor also doing body work with them um which uh which is sort of an amazing place to be also to just witness that that transformation that miracle on a regular basis uh it definitely gives you some some t- deeper meaning in life, um, and uh, the other patients who we'll see anybody anybody who really wants this combination type care, uh, and and not almost everybody does it, but you don't have to do it. Some people come and just get adjusted. Some people come and just get body work, um, but the combination together, I think, is where the power is. It's a very powerful modality. Yeah. In terms of nose, it's not so much me that I don't get the thousand nose. It's the pregnant women who have breech babies that get the thousand nose. Yeah. Um, they don't check for breech typically until they're 35 or 36 weeks. At that point, your baby's coming in the next two to five weeks. And you have so little time to figure out what choices you have. You have a you can have a woman who her whole life I have one right now is just very green and lean and healthy. Um, everything's holistic in her life. Uh, her only and and actually she talks about it on our we have a podcast called the Informed Pregnancy Podcast, and we just did an episode called the Gentle Cesarean um, to sort of you know if you have to have a C section or want to have a C-section, it doesn't have to be so sterile and surgical. You could focus on on the sacred birth that's happening also and have a really beautiful moment. Um, but she was terrified. Her only thing in her birth plan was, I do not want to have a cesarean. Sometimes you see 10-page birth plans. Hers was one line. Right. She has a breech baby, you know? And so she found out a breech, about the breach at 35 weeks, very little time. You know, and she wants to know, can I deliver my baby breach? And her doctor says no. And it's like, could I go just wait until I go into labor and see what happens? And her doctor says no. And so there's the thousand no's go to the women. The 10,000 no's. 10,000 no's. <laughs> the 10,000 no's go to the women. And they really do who are pregnant. They get they get no's about everything um, and not too many yeses. Yeah. And so what I what I do is, is to the extent I can improve the function and, and give them a better shot, perhaps, a baby's moving if there's no structural issue, um, or more options. We made a documentary film called Heads Up, The Disappearing Order of Vaginal Breach Delivery, which sort of shows why we stopped doing vaginal breach birth in the United States and Canada, and why it sort of both countries reversed the policy several years later. But because we're not doing it, there's no way to train Young, you know, younger doctors now on how to get enough experience and confidence to know how to do them and deal with complications should they happen. So the options really almost non-existent. Yeah. The ten thousand nos aren't really towards me. It's towards pregnant women in general, especially pregnant women with breech babies. Well, that's it. Yeah, that's what I was thinking when we line this up. That that would be it. Would be really for the women. The the you know your patients who are dealing with any kind of complications that arise during the pregnancy um and it, it, you said something before that uh being in the the room with births as part of your job will give you a um i forget how you phrase it exactly but will give you a deeper meaning yes of life how has that shifted you in, in a way what 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 is your takeaway and what is your you know well first of all what's your takeaway i mean it's 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 really magical i i i'm 
on my own journey every day. I'm learning things all the time. Um, I'm becoming aware of things I was never aware of. Uh, and it, it changes me who, who I am. There's a lot of things in my life that changed me. Getting married changed me. Having children changes me. Having a practice changes me. Having a practice around pregnancy specifically changes me. Going to birth changed me. Um, at a birth, you can really see somebody in, a, in, in one of their most vulnerable and fearful places uh, sometimes. Someone are not fearful. They're just very excited and happy and grounded and ready for it, which also changes you. But sometimes you also see them in their most fearful spot, and it's like sometimes trying to climb Mount Everest, I guess, might be watching somebody try to climb Mount Everest and, and wanting to do it and looking at the top and saying, I'm going to do this, especially if they're they're aiming for like a natural childbirth without medications or interventions or a home birth. Uh, and you can see, you can see them find something that they can grab onto that that helps them not be afraid. And the intensity that was bothering them at three centimeters or early in labor uh, can become a lot more intense, let's say at five or six or seven centimeters later in labor. But without the fear component, they are just rocking it, mastering it. And um, sometimes I can be a part of helping them. Anybody can be. Their partner is in a great place. They know them better than anybody else. Or the, a doula might be, or, or a doctor, or a labor and delivery nurse, or a midwife. But sometimes me, through body work, we just had one this week where, where the mom hadn't even sat down for three hours because sitting was too intense for her. Um, to have a contraction or a surge while she was sitting. But the body work, somehow, despite having all the other people around her when I was, came in and was able to do body work, she was able to relax enough and not fight herself during a contraction that she realized that she's much stronger than they are. And so she was able to breathe, start breathing through them, actually make a few jokes, you know, even during uh, contractions. And you can see her sense of humor coming back and the fear going away. She was able to sit down and lay down and uh, practically fell asleep for, for the next. What happened over the next three hours was just magical, a transformation. And so I'm inspired a lot by it when I try to overcome my own hurdles in my own life, which seem much less significant. But, you know, trying to quit donuts or. Um, you know, other things, improve myself as a human being, be a better person, a better dad, a better doctor. Um, I tap into that energy and, and those transformations, and I look at what they do and what they're able to overcome. And it's not just natural childbirth. It's any, any kind of childbirth. Um, it's just such an incredible journey. And, um, yeah, being in, in, involved in that really changes me a lot. It really is. When I, I love the way you put that. And um, that's, you know, it's kind of... Hoping for something like that—that's that's, that's uh, you know that management of fear. I feel like that's a recurring theme that I've had with other guests and in, in all different fields. Um, that a lot of times our own fear and our own limits are, are the the worst obstacle that we all have to face, and you're looking at it in a very, very intense and specific situation. Um, it's I the way you put it is really beautiful to hear it that way that you you get to be a part of this and to watch this and really it is it it does seem like the impossible when you think of what is going through 
you, you know, this is going through this. It's it's right, amazing. I, 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 I don't know any guys that can do it. <laughs> we, the analogy we use in the office is a, a large basketball passing through a smaller rubber band. How could that big basketball get it's, through that small rubber band? Impossible. The baby's always bigger than the mother. Yeah. Um, and it's function. It boils down to function, which is why what we do is so important. If that rubber band is very functional and, and elastic and stretchy, and if that basketball is a little underinflated and can smush in on itself, it will pass through smoothly. And that's what happens. The baby's head is not fully inflated. The bones kind of mold on, onto themselves, and it goes from being 13 or 14 centimeters down to 8 or 9. And uh, those soft, those bony and soft tissues of the pelvis are, are meant to be very stretchy and elastic and allow for something larger to pass through. Yeah. But I don't know if I can do it. Yeah, I... <laughs> I don't think I'm uh, going to be trying, nor do I I want to. I'm very thankfully uh, not going to be doing that. (laughs) But it is, yeah, it is amazing. I mean, I've I've only you know witnessed two of my two kids, and um, uh, to to imagine that you do that, I mean, that you're just saying you just did that this week, and you you do it every week, I would imagine, or regularly, yeah, at least every month. Mm -hmm. um, It's it's a pretty amazing thing to behold. uh, anything, anything else that we're we're missing in terms of uh, experiences that you've uh, that you've come across that have kind of changed your your outlook on things? I mean, it's um, you you see everything in this field. I as a car a general chiropractor, I was working with a lot of chronic pain. Um, Sometimes we have really good results with chronic pain, depending on the source of it or how long it's been there, and sometimes you don't. During pregnancy and postpartum, you can have such profound impact. Uh, sciatica of pregnancy, this pain in the in the gluteal muscle that really gets worse usually with sleeping on it and getting bigger, uh, can be so debilitating, but it's it's actually responds really, really well if you can relax the muscle that's pressing on the nerve and release the joint. Um, two or three visits changes everything. I have sometimes people who come in in the ninth month who've been struggling for six months with it, and they just they have never been to a chiropractor, afraid to go to a chiropractor, don't believe in chiropractic, and after two or three visits, sometimes it's just magical to watch um, how well they recover. Uh, it's, Do you find that that you said pe- people don't believe in in chiropractic? Uh, mm-hmm. what, have you found that to be um, an issue? It, it sounds like you know there isn't an issue with your practice because it, it sounds like there's a demand for you. But I know a lot of people. There are a lot of I, I've used chiropractors several times. I've had back issues, and I've you know. Uh, I actually found a lot of success with a rolfer, mm-hmm. which scared me at first, but sure. that ended up being really great. But uh, chiropractic, I know a lot of people, you know, are very scared of, of chiropractors. Do you do you find that that's an unfair assessment, and or that that's attributed to some people that are not as well versed and are giving the profession a bad name? What's your take on uh, that? Look, there's it's like I said earlier, anything that has the power to help you also has the power to harm you. And chiropractic is no exception to that rule. Every time we do an adjustment, there is always a small risk of an injury to the joint or one of the bones or something nearby, like a disc blood vessel or nerve. And you never want to hurt somebody. So we're very careful to try to only do positive things and do no harm. That's the first rule in any any medical provider or healthcare provider. But, um, you, you know, there is there is some risk and, and people perceive risk very differently. Um, 
for example, in childbirth, if you've had a C-section and would like to try to have a vaginal birth, what they call vaginal birth after cesarean or a trial of labor after cesarean, uh, the risk is about is that the scar that was made on the uterus during the initial surgery might become weak and pop open during the second birth or the subsequent birth. And uh, that's a risk that creates a dangerous medical condition, um, complication at that moment. Uh, the risk is on average about one half of 1%. Now, some people will hear that and say, that's so tiny. That means I have a 99.5% chance that's not going to happen to me. I definitely want to try that. Other people will hear it and say, I don't want to take that risk. In fact, if you put it the other way around and you say one half of 1% means one in 200, and you think about the millions of babies that are born and how many how many thousands and thousands of those are vaginal birth after cesarean, that woman might say, I don't want to take a one in 200 risk. Right. So how we perceive risk is different for all of us. I'll present the same exact Look, before anybody does any kind of treatment in my office, I always want them to know exactly what they're getting into. And I'll present the risks and side effects of what we do. Some people don't want them. Some people do. Nothing is risk-free. Generally speaking, I think that driving to my office is a lot riskier than anything I'm going to do once you get there. Yeah. But that's driving as a risk we're willing to take. Yeah. And uh, here, here's something that I took out of it also. Um, childbirth is filled with risks. There's no 100% safe way to get a baby out of you, whether it's head down or breech or any other position, whether you're having a vaginal birth with medication, without medication, at home, at a hospital, squatting in a strawberry field. Um, it doesn't matter. There's no 100% safe way to get a baby out of you. But there are almost all very safe ways to get a baby out of you. Yeah. And so you get to pick, or you get to live in a time you get to pick from lots of different options on how you get a baby out. It's not going to be the same for any two people. You get to pick. This is America. You choose. How do you want to get your baby out? We we respect your choice. Um, but whatever choice you pick, once you make it, you just you set your intention for this is how I want to go. But all you know is you're going to start at point A and, and end at point B. You start pregnant and end up with a baby coming out of you. and And there's always a chance you're going to get T-boned by an 18-wheeler. When you're driving from your house to the grocery store, there's always a chance you're going to get T-boned by an 18-wheeler and become disabled or die. But you're not thinking about that when you're driving to the grocery store. You're thinking, I need milk, I need eggs, I need bread. Right. And it's the same thing with childbirth. Once you make your plan, you just go. You don't drive around with the airbags deployed. Right. Just in case there's an accident. And you don't do interventions just in case when when you're in, you're in birth. You do interventions if you want them or need them. So if you're driving along and the oil light goes on, then you have to pull over and check and see what's going on. If smoke comes out of the radiator, you got to deal with it. So your advice to uh, pregnant women and to the entire family that's expecting the baby is just is to, first of all, breathe and relax, would you say, and and take things as they come as opposed to trying to look too far down the road and—, and uh, in, instead of you know trying to create something in your mind with with fear, you're not gonna you're not gonna head off any danger by being too defensive. I, too I guess. defensive, too interventive, without yeah. really a reason for doing it. So I w I would say number one, get informed, learn what your choices are, what your options are. There are so many of them. Number two, pick what makes most sense for you and your family, you and your partner, you and your family. And then number three, surround yourself with providers who are on the same page with you who are going to give you those choices and support them, not just tolerate them, but really support whatever choices you make. Some people want an elective cesarean and don't medically need one. 
then if that's what you want, you have to surround yourself with a doctor who's comfortable doing elective cesarean, even if you don't medically need one, yeah. versus one who's going to just tolerate it or try to talk you out of it. You know, it's it's your choice. Same thing on the other side, which is much more challenging. Sometimes you want a vaginal birth, but you have a breech baby, or you have a, a you've already had a cesarean birth, or you have twins. Um, those are all sometimes reasons your providers don't want to do a vaginal birth. But if you want, if you've done the research, you know the pros and cons, and you're choosing a certain way, you need to surround yourself with practitioners who are on board with you. Then, once you've made your plan and surrounded yourself with supportive people, you let go. You know, yeah. you just let it unfold and and you aim for your target, but it's okay. It's a flow chart. It's okay. There's lots of different ways to get from point A to point B. And once you've made your plan, you have to let go. You can't try to control it. It's like me in a roller coaster. I, I hold on for dear life to the to the bar and my feet are pressing through the floorboard as if I can somehow control it. And I hate roller coasters. But then my son turned like six or seven or eight and I started taking him on roller coasters because I didn't want him to be afraid. And I was so focused on helping him not be afraid that I forgot to be afraid and I had a great time. Yeah. You let go of control. You have no control over that roller coaster. Yeah. And really, like you said, you have no control in life. I mean, you, you know, you said you get out on the road, you don't know what other people are going to do. You don't. And and we don't want to think about it all the time, but that's that's the truth. Yeah. Um, well, uh before we go, you uh, your podcast is the Informed Birth is Informed it? Pregnancy Informed podcast. Pregnancy Podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay, and where can people find that? Uh, any any uh, podcasting app, and also at informedpregnancy.com. Okay. And you've been doing that for a while now. We've been doing it for a while. We have a nice library. It's evergreen content, so we don't talk about anything like what's going on in the news today. It's all things that will be relevant to somebody who's pregnant or in labor or just recently had a baby or is a new parent uh, during that time in your life. And if something becomes grossly outdated, we'll just pull it down. But there's a nice library about everything uh, that falls under that umbrella. That's so great. Have, have you been? You must be getting tons of downloads, I would imagine. It's just such a... It's a topic that everybody, obviously, everybody is dealing with in some way, shape, or form. Most, a lot of people, and um, it it does seem like everybody is itching for more information yeah. about how they can kind of see the path that they're about to go through. Yeah, and there's um, so many different ways to get from point A to point B, and we just discuss lots of the different options. You know, we don't make choices for anybody, but we are getting a lot of downloads. And what's what's gratifying is we're getting a lot of, of feedback. So emails or Facebook messages um, with questions or people saying how helpful the podcast has been. And once in a while for people saying, shame on you for giving people choices. Oh, really? Do you get... The- oh, all the time. You know, somebody... Because this person on one side of the coin might not feel comfortable that somebody else has, uh, there's always opinions, right? Right. So there's a whole group of people who feel like a woman shouldn't be able to choose a cesarean. There's a whole group of people uh, who feel like if a woman has a breech baby, she shouldn't be allowed to choose a vaginal birth. And so we, we get that negative feedback also all the time. Huh. Well, not all the time. Again, luckily, mostly positive feedback. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and once in a while, angry feedback from yeah. individuals well, you're, who feel yeah, like you're uh, gonna choices get, shouldn't exist. I mean, that that's uh, what's the expression that if, if 15% of your, I heard this from someone in business, they're saying if 15% of your customers aren't 
Uh, no, what was that? Uh, I don't know. It was, it was something about that you, you know you're doing something right if you have at least some people, you know, kind of railing at, railing out against you. <laughs> yeah. It means you stand for something. So, right. so that's good. Um, well, thank you. Thank you so much for, uh, for sitting down with me and, um, hopefully we'll get more people over to your podcast and anywhere else that people can find you or if they needed to. Uh, if they're I mean, if they're in the LA area, if you're in the LA area, you know our our practice is at drberlin.com. It's spelled out D O C T O R B E R L I N dot com, and uh, we do like I said, mostly pre and postnatal and pediatric care. But we'll see anybody who who you know if you've got something that we can help you with. We'd love to meet you and work with you. Uh, we also have a new YouTube series. It's called The Real Midwives of Los Angeles. and uh, Really? It, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's sounds... another medium where we're just trying to give more exposure. We don't see childbirth at all. Yeah. You know, you're the only exposure is in TV, movies, and newspaper headlines. And just by way of example, if the only thing – if I was 34 years old and about to fly in an airplane for the first time, the only thing I – ever knew about airplanes was what I saw on TV and movies and read the newspaper headlines. I'd never get on an airplane. I'd be terrified. I think the air, every airplane either falls out of the sky for engine failure, gets hijacked by terrorists, or has snakes on it. Like, those are the only yeah. choices that I'm aware of. You never see a plane just take off and land safely. There's never a, a headline in a newspaper that says, hey, all planes landed safely today. Yeah. You know, you only see the terrible stuff. And so with the real midwives, we're just trying to show you lots of different ways to get from point A to point B real real women sharing their journeys before, during, and after they have their babies. And that's on YouTube? That's YouTube, youtube.com slash the real midwives. Is that relatively new? That How, how that, new? Uh, as of now, just came, we just did our first journey on there with a woman named Megan who's fascinating and very empowering to watch. Um, she struggles with the same things most women struggle with, um, decisions and confidence and fear. And uh, it's amazing how she powers through. We also do celebrity birth stories on there. So uh, right now we have Sarah Wright Olson and Katie Lowe's. Oh, I know. I know Sarah You know also. Sarah? Oh, she shares yeah. both of her birth and, stories. And Eric, yeah. I've, Sarah um, and Eric, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're, we live in the same town and I've oh, worked awesome. with both of them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's... They're, they're amazing. And she had such... I mean, they. I shouldn't say she. They had like really interesting birth stories with both of their kids and she shares them really? on, on the real midwives yeah oh cool and to check it out so you you're really you've expanded into uh Social media. I mean, you got podcasts, you got YouTube, you got your practice. Yes. Is this typical uh, for this field, or are you? No, an outlier? I don't think so. I also I was a drama major in college. Ah, okay. I guess. So I don't know why I was a drama major. I was my father was, my brother was. So I thought I must do it too, even though I knew I was going the healthcare route. Uh, and I loved it while I was in college. Never expected to do anything else with it, but now it's come in handy. I mean, I really just want to sometimes. Sc- Stand on the rooftop and scream out, you have choices. Yeah. <laughs> Learn what they are and pick which ones you want and aim for them. Uh, we also do a comedy show called uh, Ultimate Prenatal Date Night. And it's just. Really? Yeah, we rent well, out. You with, wait till I say that the interview is winding down and yeah, then you then start coming out with the real, with the real the color. <laughs> I mean, it's again comedy, laughter is medicine. So we're deliberately packing a comedy club with new and expecting parents who are going through a tough transition. And uh, all of our comedians that we bring in are parents themselves that have yeah. small kids. And the stand up comedy is just very therapeutic for all of us. It's and a great idea. 
Yeah. Where's that? That's also on YouTube? Uh, no, that's it's local. It's here at Haha ha Comedy Cafe. Oh, so that's a, that's a live. Uh, it's a live show a that live we do show. twice a year. Ah. Yeah, it's, it's like everybody just had a baby. Like, you know, if they laugh, you can, they pee a little. So if you have a great joke, uh, you can smell it. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I think we'll end on that one. It sounds <laughs> like a good one. Thank you very much <laughs> for, uh, for sitting down with me. I appreciate it. Really nice to talk to you. Dr. Elliot Berlin, DC. Uh, and everybody, uh, enjoy, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to 10,000 No's. If you haven't subscribed to us yet, please do. So each week's episode is automatically downloaded to your computer or phone. And if you like what you heard, please help us get the word out by sharing it with your friends and family. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Thanks.